rare event in the stratosphere across the South Pole, which could have repercussions for New Zealand and Australia. We've had some very fire-conducive weather in the last couple of weeks. The outlook is not looking all that favorable because we expect the odds to be shifted more in favor of less rainfall and warmer conditions. What is Lee Gustiness? Their presence is often revealed by elongated roll clouds resembling braided rope or gently rotating cigars. And there's talk of it warming up across the UK. In the outlook through the weekend and beyond, it's all about high pressure moving in and bringing many of us plenty of dry weather and also quite a bit of September sunshine. It's Thursday the 12th of August and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello there, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Cast your mind back to late February 2018. The UK ground to a halt under snow and ice when the so-called beast from the east arrived. However, events began much earlier in the winter above the North Pole, where what is known as the stratospheric polar vortex lost its strength and reversed in direction, an event known as a sudden stratospheric warming. Fast forward to the present and a similar event is now taking place over the South Pole. So, first of all, what is a polar vortex? Here's Head of Long-Range Forecasting, Professor Adam Scaife. So this is a giant cyclone that sits over the North Pole and there's one in the Southern Hemisphere over the South Pole, obviously at different times of year. It forms during local winter. That gigantic cyclone has low pressure in the middle and as every meteorologist knows, that means it must have westerly winds flowing around it from west to east. So that's the polar vortex, but how does that lead to a sudden stratospheric warming, or SSW? A sudden stratospheric warming actually begins near the surface of the Earth or in the lower part of the atmosphere, the troposphere. When there are big wiggles or waves in the jet stream, these things can propagate vertically. That vertical propagation is important because it takes those waves into the stratosphere. And once they get into the stratosphere, it delivers momentum and heat so the stratospheric polar vortex weakens. The winds lose their strength in the lower part of the stratosphere as it suddenly heats up, and then those winds reverse. And that has implications for us at surface level. So how does the latest event over the southern hemisphere differ from last year's event in the north? In the southern hemisphere, the process and the dynamics are similar. It's rarer. Um, in fact, the last one occurred in September 2002, and we only have one event on record. That's in perhaps 40 years of reliable observations over the satellite era. We had no idea how likely or frequent it can be. You can't say if you've only ever seen one in 40 years. We don't know how frequent it, it would be. Coincidentally, this year, what we've been doing is running thousands of simulations of the Southern Hemisphere polar vortex and counting up how many of them show one of these events. And we have an answer. We know how frequent it is from the computer model, and the answer is 4%. So a 4% chance each year that the Southern Hemisphere will show one of these flips. To find out how events in the Southern Hemisphere are being monitored, earlier I spoke to Harry Hendon, senior meteorologist at the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia. We're not really anticipating impacts until October and maybe extending through to January. And we understand how we get impacts from the stratospheric warmings from looking at the historical record. We've had three or four 
less major warmings, and so we can look at what happens during those events. Our modeling capability here, where we've been anticipating what's going to happen, uh, really depends on our partnership between the Bureau of Meteorology and the UK Met Office. So we share the same modeling capability. Without that model, we wouldn't have been able to make these predictions. So you can split the impacts into two types of phenomena, and that's more storminess, enhanced rainfall across more southern parts of Australia as well as New Zealand. However, a very different setup further north and east. Typically what happens after a stratospheric warming is the westerly jet stream shifts towards the equator. So in those locations that pretty much sit right underneath the westerly jet stream, like the southern part of New Zealand or Patagonia in South America, they can expect to see enhanced storminess and more clouds, more rainfall. But a lot of Australia sits in the subtropics, so even though the jet stream shifts towards the equator, we expect to see less rainfall, less storminess, less clouds, um, and so warmer temperatures and drier conditions. I was reading in the, the news just in the last day or so that the number of bushfires happening right now across Queensland and New South Wales. Will this anticipated spell of drier than average warmer weather have a, an effect on that as well? We've had about a three-year drought for a large portion of Central and Eastern Australia. So it's, it, it's been pretty tough going in Central and Eastern Australia. And you know, we, we've had some very fire-conducive weather in the last couple of weeks. So we, we can anticipate that the outlook is not looking all that favorable um, further into the springtime because we expect you know, the odds to be shifted more in favor of less rainfall and warmer conditions. This has impacts on a wider scale than just southern Australia and southern parts of New Zealand. We also expect for certain portions of the Antarctic area to actually probably have enhanced sea ice decline because this reduced westerly flow is going to induce more poleward flow of warmer water and actually decrease the sea ice. Can we talk about ozone? We're talking about stratospheric ozone here. I did read that there would be impacts to the amount of ozone in the southern hemisphere, that it could increase for a time. We typically will see in a stratospheric warming as temperature rises in the polar vortex that ozone concentration in the polar vortex will increase. It'll increase both because we'll have less decrease due to the catalytic chemistry that acts to destroy ozone in the ozone hole, but also because there'll be stronger downward motion and transport of ozone in from lower latitudes into the polar vortex. Harry Hendon, thank you very much for your time and thank you for keeping us posted what's happening across Australia and New Zealand. After some very wet weather here in the UK, heading into the weekend, things turn a little bit more tropical in the south. Here's Alex Deacon. September so far has been pretty changeable. Some fine days with weather fronts and rain never too far away. But in the outlook through the weekend and beyond, it's all about high pressure moving in and bringing many of us plenty of dry weather and also quite a bit of September sunshine. Now, there's always one or two complications, and particularly this weekend across northern Britain, there's a weather front coming in. A bit of uncertainty about the timing and the extent of the rain on that weather front, but at the moment it looks like it could be turning quite soggy across Scotland, especially on Saturday, and not just rain, but also getting very gusty too. Elsewhere, with high pressure in control, much of the south will be dry and fine with sunshine this weekend.
Then on Sunday, how far south does that weather front get? At the moment, it looks like it could bring more cloud on Sunday uh, to northern England and parts of Northern Ireland with a bit of rain here. To the north, Scotland, probably a bit brighter on Sunday, but on the cool side. Whereas in the south, with some sunshine on Sunday, temperatures could get into the mid-20s. That weather front is still hovering around across the country on Monday, but high pressure is really building in by this stage. That should tend to dry that weather front out and lead to a lot of fine weather for much of the UK next week. Now, with high pressure builds at this time of year, with light winds and the nights getting long, well, there could be some mist and fog around and could be quite chilly in the mornings as well. But for large parts of the UK, uh, we can look forward to some September sunshine for a good chunk of next week. Thank you, Alex. Now, as Alex was saying, despite the high pressure system over the UK, eastern parts of Scotland are likely to see some very gusty conditions over the next few days. This is due to a particular weather condition that can occur over hills or mountainous terrain. To explain more, here's meteorologist Emma Smith. Gusty weather near high ground is caused by the displacement of air by surface obstacles, such as hills and mountains. When the atmosphere is stable, winds tend to flow horizontally. Where it encounters an obstruction, such as a mountain, it is forced upwards. This upwards movement is known as orographic lift. If the air above a mountain is warmer than the rising air at the surface, the rising air cannot mix and dissipate. This is known as a temperature inversion. Squeezed between the mountain and the warmer cap above, the rising air emerges onto the leeward side of the mountain as a series of oscillating peaks and troughs known as a lee wave. Lee waves can persist for tens or hundreds of miles. As air rises as part of the wave motion, it cools to form a cloud that sits at the crest of the wave. Lenticular clouds have a unique lens-shaped appearance, sometimes resembling a stack of plates and occasionally being mistaken for UFOs. In certain conditions, lee waves can give rise to phenomena known as rotors. Rotors form in the first trough of a lee wave and are caused by differences in air pressure. And this happens when air below the peaks of the oscillating wave is moving slower than air below the troughs. Where the pressure difference is great enough, separate air masses may form which start to rotate in the opposite direction to the surrounding airflow. The accompanying turbulence is a significant hazard for aviators. Their presence is often revealed by elongated roll clouds resembling braided rope or gently rotating cigars. Meteorologist Emma Smith. And now let's go to Sophie Yeomans who has last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes from Monday the 2nd of September to Sunday the 8th of September. The highest maximum occurred last week on Tuesday the 3rd of September when Cavendish in Suffolk peaked at 24.2 Celsius. The early hours of Sunday morning brought a frost to Aboyne in the Highlands, making it the coldest night of the week, with a minima during the early hours of Thursday morning of minus 1.6 Celsius. 
Monday saw the highest daily rainfall in Aknagat across the Northwest Highlands with 42.2 millimetres. And finally, Saturday the 7th of September was the sunniest day with 12.2 hours of sunshine in Prestwick, Ayrshire. Thank you, Sophie. Next week, Mostly Weather relives the fastnet storm of 1979 with two of the survivors from the prestigious race that ended in disaster. I became aware that some extreme roughness was taking place and then, of course, the boat turned on its side, something conventionally called a B2 knockdown. It's not a full capsize where it goes to 180 degrees, but beyond 90 anyway. So that was when I became aware that uh, things were not going according to plan. And that full episode can be heard next Monday. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. This week's producer was Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next time when we take a closer look at the week's weather. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.